Let's pray together. Father, as always, we want to pause and recognize our need. We need you. We need you to speak to us. But we also need you to enable us to be able to hear you. And so, God, we ask you to come overcome any resistance that we might have to you within our own flesh or any spiritual resistance that we might face. God, we forget that this isn't a, a, just a natural world. There's a supernatural element. And so, God, we pray against um, any evil or works or effects during our time. God, we ask that... Um, your Holy Spirit would be free to speak to us and obviously myself, God, speak through me. Enable us, God, to take this word that you have for us and again, listen to it and then we ask you to plant it in our lives and so it can grow fruit because that's what we want. We want the fruit of the gospel in our lives. We want the fruit of the good news to grow in us, to make us more like Christ. And so God, we ask you to fill us now with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is great to be back with you uh, this week. I was in class last week and I was gone during the week. And so Pastor Jad, uh, Pastor Jad I don't know who Jad is. That's Jason and Chad put together. Um, but Pastor Chad spoke and then I got to hang out in our Jasper campus on Sunday, which is always great. And it just reminds me, uh, I love those kind of weeks where I'm not preaching, but I get to be with people. And I just want you guys to know as our church, how much I love you, uh, how much I love our church. And uh, again, just being a part of the church, you know, before uh, I'm a pastor, I'm just a Christian that's a part of a local church. And so getting to, to either meet people I haven't met before or see people that I know and love. It just is always great. And so I love the chance to get to do that. But didn't Pastor Chad do a great job last week? Let's give it up uh, for him. You know, I love teaching. I feel like it is something that God has uh, called me and gifted me to do. And we want great teaching at our church. But I also love getting the chance to develop teachers at our church. And so it's not just something that we do, it's something we do strategically because we want our campus pastors, our student ministers, other people to teach. And so they need opportunities and reps to do that. And so it's really cool just to see, I mean, I've known Chad for 12 years now, to see how he's developed as a teacher, Pastor David, uh, Jeremy, Dave, other guys, and just seeing how they get to grow and develop as teachers. And so that's always a cool thing uh, for us. And I, I love to give them opportunities and reps, you know, Place time at the at the plate, if you will, uh, which maybe a baseball reference is too soon since the Braves got beat. But uh, at least a team from Texas won, not that other team from Philly. All right, and so uh, we're going to jump into the text today. So if you have a, a Bible, we're going to be in John uh, chapter seventeen. And that other team from Philly was a knock on Pastor David, by the way, in case you were wondering, he's from Philadelphia, and so he wanted them to win. So it was kind of like a battle of home states, and I'm just glad that my state won. I'm just saying, all right? Um, but we are in John chapter 17, and we're, we're kind of making a shift now. Uh, we've been in John chapter 16, obviously, for a while, and 17 comes after 16, in case you were unaware of that. But in chapter 17, Jesus himself is going to make a shift. And now we're going to see in chapter 17 
what is called the high priestly prayer. And so the entire chapter is a prayer from Jesus. And it has three main sections to it. We're going to do one section today. And it is the section where Jesus prays for himself. And then the second section, he is going to pray for his current disciples at that time. And then the last section, he's going to pray for future disciples, which would be us. That is present day. And so if you think about this chapter, again, just kind of think three sections. And this uh, whole chapter, these prayers, Jesus praying for himself, his disciples, his future disciples. I heard somebody, in fact, it was last week at, uh, when I was at school, said that this is the real Lord's Prayer. And what he meant by that was not that the one in Matthew 6 is the fake one, but that the one in Matthew 6 was the example that Jesus gave on how we are to pray. Because his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he taught them in Matthew chapter six. And, and a lot of people memorize the Lord's prayer. And we should, because it is a great example for us to pray. But when I heard this phrase, that this is the real Lord's prayer, what the emphasis on that was, is Matthew six was what Jesus taught us how to pray. But John 17 is him actually praying. And what the person meant by that was, you know, Jesus, in essence, couldn't really personally pray the Matthew 6 prayer because there's a line in there that says, forgive us. Well, Jesus had nothing for the Father to forgive him for, right? So Jesus taught us that because we need to ask for forgiveness, but Jesus didn't need to. But this prayer is Jesus's actual prayer. And it's actually the longest recorded prayer from Jesus that we have. It's the longest recorded prayer in all four gospels. And so I think it's important for us to study. Again, to study to see how Jesus himself prayed. What did he pray about? Who did he pray for? I already told you three primary groups. What was it that he said? And so we're gonna take between now and Christmas to, to walk through this chapter and look at how Jesus prayed. Look at how he prayed. What did he pray about? Again, what did he say? What does it mean? Because we have a lot to learn. Again, not just from Matthew 6 and the example that he taught us, but how he actually himself prayed. And then what's really cool, we always take a break at the end of the year. And then in January, we always do a season, if you've been around here, of prayer and fasting. So here's what's really cool. And this is, I have a joke that says there's almost like there's a God, and that means there is, all right? So here's what's cool. We're gonna talk about prayer for like six or seven weeks, celebrate Christmas, take a break, and then we're gonna come back and pray. We're gonna spend time for 21 days of praying and fasting. And for those of you that are new to our church, I wanna warn you now. I'm telling you now, so that you don't schedule an Instacart delivery the day that the fast starts, all right? So that you don't go to Walmart or Costco or BJ's, whatever it is that you go, and you don't buy some, I have had so many people every year tell me, oh, we didn't know the fast was coming, we just spent like $400 at Costco. I'm telling you now, all right? And here's what's cool. We strategically placed it 
This is called con- contextualization. We strategically placed it between the national championship and the Super Bowl. All right? So it'll be the week after the national championship, right? And it'll end before the Super Bowl. So 21 days, three weeks of prayer and fasting. So again, I'm telling you now to prepare you. And what's cool is it just so happens as we laid this out, we're gonna spend the end of this year talking about prayer and the first of next year actually praying. All right, pretty cool, I think. So let's get into this now. Again, this is called the high priestly prayer. Now you say, why is it called that? Well, the short answer is, because Jesus is the high priest and he prays, all right? It's the high priestly prayer because he is the high priest and this is his recorded prayer. Here's why that is important. The role of high priest is a biblical one, but again, uniquely now a Jewish one or the Israelites because it was a function that was instituted at Mount Sinai after Moses had been given the Ten Commandments, his brother Aaron, and then Aaron's descendants after him, would take the role of what was called high priest. So you had priests, you wouldn't call them low priests, although that was the the concept, right? Like you had priests and then you had one that was the high priest. This was the, the first among equals. And the high priest every year had a specific role, had a unique role. This high priest would intercede between God and man. And one time a year on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the Holy of Holies, the the most inward part of the temple, and he would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And here's the key to understanding the Old Testament. The Old Testament developed patterns, what Colossians would later call shadows, to help us understand what it was that Jesus was doing. So if you've ever read through the Old Testament and you read about all the sacrifices, you're like, this is the bloodiest stuff I've ever read. This is weird. And again, I've made reference to that before. Thank God that today as pastors, we don't have to do circumcisions or sacrifices. I thank God for that. Thank God that, I, I mean, I, I like hunting and I don't mind skinning a deer, but I don't wanna be doing sacrifices and we get up here in church and it gets all bloody and we're like, thank you, Lord. I would just much rather preach and baptize, right? I'm down with that. But again, what you see in the Old Testament are shadows. We did a series years and years ago called Shadows. I don't think it's on our website, but it was a whole series about how all throughout the Old Testament, there was these shadows that pointed forward. So if you think about a shadow, you have an object, and when you shine a light on that object, it casts a shadow. And the whole argument of that series was, in the middle of human history stands the cross, and God's light shines on that, and then it casts a shadow, and that shadow goes back into the Old Testament, and all those shadows are pointing to what Colossians calls is the substance, the substance. Here's how we talk about it in theology. All those were types or typology, and Jesus is 
the main, or he's the substance, those are shadows, and they all point forward. So Jesus is the true high priest. In fact, if you want to understand the book of Hebrews in the uh, New Testament, the book of Hebrews, its entire argument is that Jesus is our true high priest. And it makes two arguments. It goes all the way back to Melchizedek, which is the guy that Abraham sacrificed to, which is a messianic figure. And then it makes the argument from a Levitical standpoint that Jesus is the true high priest. Again, Jesus is the substance. Those were all shadows. So here's what you need to understand about Jesus and why it's important that he pray for us as our high priest. Hebrews says this. Just like the high priest had to make a sacrifice once a year, Jesus made a sacrifice once for all, for all time, for all people that would believe in him. So the reason why he's the greater one, the reason why he's the substance or the fulfillment is he only had to do it once, not once a year. And when he did it, he is now the one who intercedes between God and men. So he's our true high priest. And so the reason why, again, this is called the high priestly prayer is because Jesus now supersedes every other high priest that ever came before him or would ever come after him. He is the true one. He is the greater one. And so therefore, this prayer is the most important prayer that a high priest could pray because our high priest prayed it. And here's what's cool to me. Jesus didn't just die for us. He also prays for us. Do you think about that? The Spirit helps us, Romans 8. But the Bible says that he's now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. You ever thought about that? Like the Spirit is helping you pray but it's like, again, and, I, and we're trying to use natural words or human language to describe supernatural things or superhuman things. It's like the prayers go to Jesus and then he intercedes to the Father on our behalf. Isn't that a cool thought that Jesus is praying for you? And so I think it's cool that we get to read, well, how does he pray for us? Well, first, he prays for himself. So let's look at that. John 17 Verse one to two, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given him. Now I just said that he prays for us and then I said he prays for himself. That's not a contradiction because here's why. It was important for Jesus to pray for himself because obviously he is, even though he's God, he's not the father. He's God, but he's the son. And so when he's talking to God, he is relationally connecting to his father and he's still asking the father for things. And so what I'm saying to you is Jesus sets the example that it's not wrong or sinful to pray for yourself. That's not wrong or bad to pray for yourself. Jesus did. 
And not only did Jesus pray for himself, look at what he says. He says he lifted up his eyes. So I guess that squashes the idea that you have to close your eyes when you pray, which I hate that because all you people that don't close your eyes weird me out, right? Like even though I don't, my eyes aren't open, I can just know that yours are open, right? I can sense it. But he lifts up his eyes to heaven and then he says this, the hour has come. Now here's what's crazy. Anytime you see the hour, and I've referenced this before, it's referencing this, the event of the cross that's about to come. And so the biblical concept of the hour is talking about something that was predestined to happen. By predestined, I mean pre-beforehand destined. It was destiny. It's going to happen. And so the cross... The Bible speaks of it like this. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was slain on the cross. So before he ever created human beings, he had already pre-fixed or pre-determined how he was gonna save human beings. So it was pre-determined ahead of time, but then in time, Jesus still had to come and accomplish it. But here's what's crazy. This is fixed it's going to happen, but yet Jesus still prays. Why am I saying this? There's a lot of people that wrongly think that the sovereignty of God or predestination leads to like this feudalism idea. Like, well, if it's fixed, why does it matter what I do? Well, if it's predetermined, why does it matter what I do? Well, one reason why it matters is because even though it was predetermined that the hour was coming, Jesus still prayed. And if he's your example, then don't you want to do what he did? Did Jesus go, Father, it's already fixed? No. He says, I know the hour is coming. And he still prayed. See, this is when people, it bugs me when people say, well, if the sovereignty of God, then why does it matter if we share our faith? You want to know why it matters if you share your faith? Because God said to. That's why it matters. People are like, well, if God's going to determine who's saved and who's not saved, then why do I have to do anything about it? Because God told you to do something about it. That's why. I used to love, uh, well, I still love R.C. Sproul, but one of the favorite things, my favorite things that he said is he hated the bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. He hated that bumper sticker. And, and you'd be listening to that like, why does he hate it? Because he hated the middle part. He said, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. He would rather have a bumper sticker that says, God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you believe it. Because his truth is truth, whether you think it's truth or not. And the reason why I love that is that highlights God's truth. It highlights God's ability to command us. And so again, one reason why we pray, even though things are predetermined, is because God told us to, and Jesus gave us the example to. But here's another reason. See, this is why I so love the sovereignty of God. If God is sovereign over circumstances, then that doesn't lessen my prayers. It enhances them. It doesn't make me pray less. Watch this. It makes me pray with more confidence. It makes me pray more boldly because nothing can stop God. Nothing can thwart God. But not just because of that. 
See, Jesus prayed precisely because the hour was coming. He knew what was coming. He knew the cross was coming. He knew trial was coming. He knew tribulation was coming. I've been making the argument over the last few weeks about why I believe certain things. And one of the things I, I said a few weeks ago is one of the reasons why I don't like the concept of, of us not being here for a tribulation is people like, well, I just, I just want God to take me out. What if God doesn't want to take you out? What if he wants to give you the grace to take you through? See, Jesus prayed precisely because he knew what was coming. And he prayed specifically He's like, I know the cross is coming. You have fixed this in human history and I know my role in it. So he's praying for himself. And here's what's crazy. He prays for God to glorify him. To glorify him. Now, when you see this on the surface, you would think, well, isn't that a selfish prayer? Jesus is asking the Father. In fact, what's crazy, this phrase here, glorify your son, is actually a command. The son is commanding the Father. Those of you, your parents, you ever had your kids command you to do something? Yeah, I have too. And I lovely remind them of who's in charge and it ain't them. But there's also times when my kids have commanded me to do something and when it falls in line with who I want them to be and what I want them to do and it lines up with who I am and who I want to be, I'm not put off by that. I'm actually amazed by it because my will has so become their will that they're so confident enough to command me to do it. You see what I'm saying? See, Jesus speaks with such confidence because he knows God is sovereign. So, so here's what I'm saying. How would it change your prayers if you knew that God knew what was gonna happen tomorrow and you asked him so boldly to give you what you needed in order to do what he wanted tomorrow. See, God's not put off by that. God's not put off for us asking him to glorify us for what he's given. In fact, if you wanna take notes, here's my first point. It's okay to ask God to glorify what he has given. It's okay to ask God to glorify what he has given. See, there's a couple key words that what Jesus says here. First, he says, glorify your son that. That. Every time I write a paper for school, my lovely wife proofreads it, and one of the things she does is she takes a hatchet to all the that's that I write in my sentences. And I lovingly tell her, baby, I'm just trying to be biblical. But I get it. I say too many that's. In fact, I think I have one in my last point. But you should be blessed by that. See what I just did there? Blessed by that. It was good, wasn't it? I, I just want you to appreciate my, my wit. Okay. That, Jesus says, 
Glorify your son that. See, that's a purpose statement. The son may glorify you. We know Jesus never sinned, right? The Old Testament said that about Jesus before he was ever born. Prophesied. We know that there's no sin in him. So if he asked God to glorify him, it's not wrong because he qualifies. He says that the son may glorify you. Now, the problem is when we think about the word glory. Again, we live in such a fame-obsessed culture. I heard someone say, we are so devoid of people with character to turn into heroes that we have turned to celebrities. And what a sad day of our celebrities are our heroes. Now, there's a few good celebrities, a few good men and women that are godly actors and artists. But by and large, almost always, if a celebrity is telling me to do something, I'm gonna do the exact opposite. Because you just look at their life, Right? Like a celebrity counseling you on marriage isn't a good thing. Because what celebrity you know that actually stays married for very long? So when we think of glory, the idea of celebrity is not the biblical concept here. It's interesting. Obviously, Jesus says this in Greek. But the Hebrew, which Jesus was Hebrew, the Hebrew word for glory is the exact same word or same root word for weight. And what I mean by weight is I mean heavy. If you don't know about heavy, just look at me. Weighty. So if someone is glorious, they're weighty. Isn't it funny how we change that in our society? We think if someone's glorious, they're not weighty. They're skinny. See, I'm, again, I'm just trying to be biblical, y'all. I'm just trying to be glorious up in here. <laughs> and the idea of weightiness and glory comes from the concept of if two objects are going to smash into each other, the weightier one is going to win. And so the concept of glory speaking about God is this. There's no one more glorious than God because there's no one more weightier than him. There's no one that has the weight that he has. So, so think about it like this. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows what's in front of him. It's predetermined. He's known this from all eternity. He stepped up. He did what the Father asked him to do. He's about to go to the cross, do what his mission was, and he's asking God, watch this, to put weight behind it. He's asking God to make his words and his actions weighty. To make it weighty. To make it make a difference. See, Jesus is not asking for God to make him more famous, which is one of my big pet peeves where people are like, I'm just trying to make Jesus famous. He don't need your help. Because inherent in that statement, a lot of times from people I know that say it, it's like, God, make me famous and then I'll tell people about you. So really the idea of making God famous is about making ourselves more famous. Isn't that funny how that works? Jesus isn't asking God to make him more famous. 
He's asking God, I'm about to go do this. Make it weighty. Make it effectual. Glorify me so that, give weight to my words. See, here's what's crazy. He just said, you have given him, he's talking about himself, you've given him authority. For those of us that are in authority, if you're a parent, you're in authority. If you serve somewhere, you're in authority. If you have a job, you're in authority. You have authority. So here's what he's saying. And the reason why I'm stressing this is it's not wrong for you to ask just like he did. Jesus is saying, you gave me this authority. So put weight behind it. You gave me this role. So make it make an impact. See, it's not wrong for us to ask God. Another way to say it is God bless me so that I can be a blessing. See, I said it's okay to ask God to glorify what he's given. What is he given? Well, he's given you a gift. If you're in Christ, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, you have a gift. I don't believe everybody gets the same gift, and so gifts aren't a marker of spiritual maturity. That's spiritual fruit. But gifts are a marker of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're in Christ, you have a gift, which means you have a role to play in this church, in your family, in this community. God has given you some kind of role. He's given you some kind of gift. He's given you some kind of authority. And what? it's not wrong to ask God to glorify the gift that he gave you. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to say, God, you gave me this gift. Put me in the best circumstance where I can utilize it. God, you gave me this gift. Put me in the best place and give me power and ability. Put weight behind my gift. Put weight to my authority. See, not only is that not wrong, I would dare to say you can't actually glorify God with your gift unless God glorifies the gift. And he won't glorify it unless you ask him. See, Jesus says, God, glorify your son that I may glorify you. See, we can only glorify God with what he gives us. So think about that, we gotta move on. He gives the gift, and then he gives the glory behind the gift. He gives the gift, then he gives the weight behind the gift. He gives the authority, and watch this, then he gives the power behind the authority. You understand power and authority aren't the same thing. Authority is position, power is ability. So he gives the, the, uh, the uh, position, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, but you wanna know why people abuse their authority, because they don't ask God for the power. How many of you know there's other spirits that aren't holy that give people power that leads them to abuse their authority? So if you don't ask God for the glory, for the gift, your flesh or the devil will kick in and take over. So I think it's quintessential that we ask, God, glorify what you've given Let's move on. 
I only got like five minutes. This is what happens when I don't preach for a week. You get that pent up, you get that pent up preaching passion. Verse three, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, Jesus said, you gave the son of man authority to give eternal life, to do something. So he gave him the authority, then he gave him the mission to do something. And then Jesus says, this is what eternal life is, to know you. Now here's what's key to understand. The reason why almost all of us sin is because we break the first two commandments in the 10 commandments. Said differently, the reason why you break the last six is because you break, or, or you, the last eight, rather, it's because you break the first two. If you break the first two, you'll break the, the last eight. What are the first two commandments? Exodus 20 says this, you shall have no other gods. And then the second one, you should make no idols. What's interesting, I'm gonna show you another supporting text in just a second that I think illustrates what I'm trying to say to you. The real sin, the real sin almost always isn't the thing that you do, whatever that thing is. I'm not saying it's not sinful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is the bigger sin is why you do it. It's not just that you did it. It's why you did it. Which Jesus ups in the gospels, right? He's like, you've heard it said this, I say this. It's why. And here's the lie. Satan is crafty, but he's not creative. And what I mean by that is this. He uses the same tricks over and over. He's only got one bag. And here's his trick. It's one trick. If you want good life, you're gonna find it outside of God. If you want eternal life, if you want happiness, you're gonna find it outside of God. Look at Jeremiah verse chapter, uh, chapter two, verses 12 through 13. You can turn there if you want, but you can just write it down as a reference. I do have it here on the screen. Listen to what God said that the people did. And ain't nothing changed. Jeremiah chapter two, this is God speaking. Verse 12, he says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Verse 13, for my people have committed two sins. First and second commandment, how many are there? How many are those? That was a softball, y'all. First and second, so there's two. Okay, just making sure you're with me, all right. He says, my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Have no other gods before me. And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water, have no idols. Let me show you how this works. It's not just that the devil gets us to forsake God. Commandment number one. It's that he lies to us and says, oh, go make this thing. 
and it'll make you happy. And what's funny is, you know, we're in a modern culture, and so we think of idols as like those little wooden statues, right? Or the fat Buddha at a Chinese restaurant. That's what we think of. Or, you know, some other culture, some other ways. We're like, oh, those people are idols. We don't have idols here. And you would be dead wrong. See, idols aren't just a, a little, it's funny, he says, hewed out cisterns. Now, cisterns back in their day, obviously were vastly more important than they are in our day because back then they didn't have all the running water like we have. But it's metaphorical. See, a cistern that, that you spend your energy making could be a bank account. It could be position. Remember we just talked about earlier, authority. It could be some authority that you have. It could be good things that God made, like human relationships. So we have all kinds of idols. I mean, we are in the South. It could be your football team. And here's what it is. Here's how you recognize idols. What is it that makes you happy? What is it? That if you have it, you're happy. If you don't have it, you're sad. Now, I love college football. I love pro football. Hook them horns. How about them cowboys, right? But here's what I realized. If my happiness is dependent upon 22 young men with a pigskin, then I'm pretty shallow, right? It's not my happiness. It's not an idol. See, it's so easy. It's so easy to commit these two evils. And the two evils are not just that you forsake God, you break commandment number one, but you actually start building and constructing something else. See, I told you earlier, it's not wrong to ask for God to glorify what he has given. See, here's what's amazing. Idolatry is when we start to ask God to glorify things that he hasn't given. We start asking God, talking about prayer, we start praying for things that are going to prey on us. Not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. One of the greatest country songs ever. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered what? You heard it? Yeah. Have you ever looked back on your life and you're like, thank God you didn't answer that one. Whew, that would have been rough. We would have had some ugly kids. I would have had a messed up life. Whew, thank God. Yeah, thank God. Aren't you glad that Jesus intercedes for you? You'd be asking God for stuff and Jesus is like, he don't really mean that. <laughs> this is what he would say if he was really in tune with you. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit translates it for you? See, here's what I'm getting at. It's okay to ask God to glorify what he has given if you're going to use what he has given to glorify him because you know that nothing good comes outside of him. That everything good comes from him. 
See, Jesus was sent on a mission to grant eternal life that they may know. And I told you this before, that word know is know experientially, to experience God, to be in relationship with God. So Jesus was praying for himself, watch this, so that he could maximize your knowing. Jesus was praying for himself to put weight behind what he was called to do because your joy was at stake. Your life was at stake. See, God had given him authority and God had given him a mission. And so he was asking God to glorify that so that the son could glorify him. And how did the son glorify him? By giving eternal life to us. See, that's what it means to know God. So when you know God, knowing God is not just about maximizing your joy. It's also about multiplying it into others. This is why a lot of people get so confused about what God's will is for their life. And I'm not saying this is always the case. However, I do think it's a pretty good standard to say, you wanna know what God's will is? It's by using whatever gift he has given you that will bring life to the most people. So when you're making decisions, God, is this your will? Well, let's ask a simple question. Does it bless mostly you? Or does it bless mostly them? See, Jesus asked for God to glorify him because what he was about to do was about to give life to us. And I gotta wonder if one of the reasons why God says no to our prayers quite often is because we're not trying to use our gifts in a way that multiplies blessings into others. In a way that multiplies into others them knowing God. See, when I got saved as a teenager, I've said this many times, I didn't know that you couldn't become a pastor. I thought everybody that got saved became a pastor. Now I realize not everybody becomes a pastor, but everybody is a minister. Pastor might be an official title, but minister is a calling that every Christian has to ministry. Ephesians 4, God gave pastors, teachers, prophets, I can't remember the rest, the rest to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I made a decision back at that young age that I was gonna do whatever it took to maximize the gifting that God had given me that led to multiplying life to others. That's God's will for your life. Now your gift is different than my gift, but God wants to glorify what he's given you because not only will it lead to you having more life, but it will lead to them having more life. Well, that will never happen. Watch this. That will never happen if you have idols. One of the reasons I am convinced that God asks us to tithe because it reveals our, our idolatry. And do you understand God doesn't just ask you to tithe your, your money? He also asks you to tithe your time. I'm not saying just serving at church, although I think you should. But tithing your time 
in your community, with your neighbors. But most people say, I'm too busy. Well, that might be an idol. Listen, both of my kids play sports, but they didn't miss church. Because I wanted my kids to know that their happiness was not in a ball. Their happiness was in God. So our life didn't revolve around anything else but God and his church. Because I wanted them to know. Now we gotta move on. Look at verse four and five. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth. Watch this. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So the best way we can glorify God is accomplish the work that he gives us to do. Jesus says, I did that. Verse five. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is interesting. The title of the message this week is Glorify Me, which I gotta be honest, I struggled with titling that at first until I realized, well, I'm just quoting Jesus. Glorify me. But then I realized the reason why Jesus said glorify me, again, he said there in verse five, with the glory that I had. Did you notice that? He had it, which would insinuate now he doesn't have it. And you have to ask yourself the question, well, why doesn't he have it? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus is any less God at this point. He's fully God. But we're talking glory here. We're talking weightiness. Divinity put on humanity. A hypostatic union. We don't understand fully how it happened. How was he? Omnipotent, but yet he was in one place. He was omnipresent, but one place is present. He was, he was omnipotent, but yet his power was limited to his human. We don't understand. It wasn't limited, but you know what I'm saying? Like, because he could still like walk through walls and heal people and raise the dead and all that kind of stuff. But how does the divinity put on humanity? Well, a great supporting text is Philippians chapter two. I don't have this here on the screen. Verses five through nine. Paul, who wrote Philippians First, he says, have this mind, think this way, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he says what Christ did. And this is what Christ did. Who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning something to hold on to. But he emptied himself. And took on the form of a servant and went to the cross. So we don't understand everything because we're human, but what we can understand, Jesus is saying, I had it, but I emptied myself of it so that I could take on the form of a servant. So now he is asking God, bring back what I had so that I can do what you commanded me to do. So here's the pattern. In fact, my last point, and then we're done. Here's the pattern. Ask God to fill us so that 
we can empty it. Ask God to fill us so that we can empty it. See, Jesus had the glory before he had the humanity, but he emptied himself of it. Took on the form of a servant. Now he's asking God to glorify him again so that he can finish his task and go to the cross and finish the work. See, Jesus couldn't have gotten up on the cross and said, it is finished unless the Father glorified him again, put weight behind him again, the Spirit empowering him to do what he did. But don't miss this. But he took it so that he could empty it again. And that's what we do. That's what we're called to do. So it's not wrong to ask God to glorify what he's given so that you can pour it out. In the same way, it's not wrong to ask God to bless you. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, or 2 Corinthians 9, sorry. Blessed to be a blessing. I didn't come up with a phrase, but it's a good one. What God can get through you, he will give to you. What if the reason God hasn't given you more glory he hasn't given you more weightiness. Let me say it too. He hasn't given you a promotion. He hasn't given you that new job. He hasn't given you that new role. He hasn't given you that new relationship. He hasn't given you that new raise. He hasn't given you whatever. It doesn't have to just be physical things. It's because you wouldn't use it to empty yourself. You would use it to glorify yourself. See, God could trust Jesus with his glory. Can God trust you with it? Can God trust you with the gift? Can God trust you with the blessing? Can God trust you with the role? Can God trust you with the authority? If we will pray like Jesus, we say, God, glorify me so that I may glorify you, so that I might know you and make you known. But I just happen to believe that God will grant that prayer like he did with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. As always, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him and saving us through him. And now because of him, empowering us with the spirit. God, we ask you, just like Jesus, glorify me so that I may glorify you and empty my life with what you fill me with. God, you love to fill your children with joy, with love, with peace, with patience, with kindness, so that they can pour it out. We can't give what we don't have, so you love to give it to us so that we can then give it away. 
But God, maybe the reason why you haven't glorified us or given it to us is because we can't be trusted with it. And maybe one of the reasons why we can't be trusted with it is because we don't know you. And so God, I pray right now for anybody here watching or in the house that doesn't know you. They don't know eternal life because they forsook you and they turn to worthless idols. And so God, I pray right now you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted Christ, trusting Christ is simply confessing that you need a savior, that you have sinned, you have committed those evils, but now you're turning from those idols and turning to the only one true God. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin to give me eternal life. So I receive it. I trust in him alone to save me. Ask you to fill me. Glorify me so that I can glorify you. by giving my life away to others. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put it down. In just a moment, you can scan that digital connection card and let us know who you are. But again, I know there's a lot of us that have trusted Jesus. And maybe today, Learning how Jesus prayed challenges you to pray differently. You realize it's okay to ask God to glorify you as long as you're gonna use that to glorify him and then give your life away to others. And so maybe God has revealed some idols in your life and maybe God is waiting for you to deal with those so that he can gift you more, so that he can bless you more because he can trust you. It's a biblical principle. If you are faithful in the little things, he will give you more. He'll give you more authority, more leadership, more gifting, more opportunities. So I don't know what that is for you, but I have a feeling you know. So again, you just... Father, I confess these idols. I want to be like Christ. Help me to glorify you and give my life away to others by glorifying me. Father, thank you. Thank you not only that Jesus prayed for us, that he's praying for us now, but he showed us how to pray. It's not wrong to ask you to glorify us if our motive is to glorify you and then give our life away. So God, would you put weight behind our words? Would you put power behind our authority? Would you put grace behind our giftings so that we can glorify you with them? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.